bad coffee? <laughs> Went down the wrong hole. Oh, oh. Uh, we thought, mm. you know, that the the the, the days were behind us. Mm-hmm. The technical difficulties. You finally upgraded <laughs> to the newer model. <laughs> R.I.P. Goldie Horn. R.I.P. Long live Kate She's Hudson. still sitting here. She's still Goldie here. Horn. With the cool sticker. Yeah, we're on um, Kate Hudson, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. You're so vibrant and colorful. I can really... I know. It looks good. Um, yeah, it's just uh, whatever HD the camera. hell I used to use doesn't want to work anymore in terms of recording these things. So I guess I don't have to actually use the fucking Skype program, which is really ancient, you know, as well. Mm. Like in terms of recording a podcast, this is like old man yelling <laughs> at a cloud about how Skype's still cool. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm doing that. I'm recording it through the Skype. So we're good. We're yeah. good. We'll be fine. And as long as the internet doesn't go down mm. on my That's side. True. That's true. You only have to only have to wait another week. Yeah. That next week, change. man. Next We're done week, with this. Oh, man. Next, next oh. week. Oh. Next week. Oh, well, it won't be next week. Because we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be somewhere else where the sound is going to be probably terrible. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, the week after next, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, just you oh. wait. <laughs> All right. Welcome <laughs> to the Botch Hour Instead of Cast. We're here. We're here. We're here. <laughs> we're here. We're, so we're like, doing the thing. We're, we're sat down. Yeah. We're, just sort of felt talking. like, I, I don't know, just so defeated. I felt so good about coming in with this new uh, computer and stuff. And then it just, like, just immediately. So, yeah, um, we're dealing with that. But it's okay. How are you doing, Phil? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. Mm-hmm. Tired. I've been working a lot, like three days. No, I'm a bit. Yeah. <sighs> bit, bit knackered. But. Yeah, how about you? All good, man. Missed you last week. We uh, had a return of one Miss Ariane Anathaputri. Oh, yeah. To do some uh, Fast X surprise episode. In the how did timeline. that go? Do you don't have to say what you thought of it? Yeah, I haven't listened to it yet. No. I mean, you know, it's out on the feed, so I, you know, I love Listen it. To it's it. great. <laughs> it. It's great. Oh, Danny, of course you do. A lot of fun. I mean, it was stupid as fuck, but, uh, you know, come on, man. It's like, uh, I don't know. Just like, great. What, what would need it? What would it need to do for you to be like, nah, these aren't fun anymore? Uh, exactly what it did. (laughs) 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 But I don't know. Uh, maybe like I would not have fun with it anymore if it tried to take itself too seriously. Where it's like they clearly have stopped trying to take <laughs> anything too seriously. They know what it is. And they're just like, we're becoming a parody of ourselves now. Mm-hmm. With the exception of like one or two people, it feels like are taking it a little too seriously. But that actually kind of makes it funny. Yeah, Vin Diesel yeah. and Tyrese, like, they're, uh, they kind of take it Tyrese, really? That's funny. Yeah, dude. Oh, come on, man. They're like Beef Watch Central. But, you know, some beefs have been squashed. I was going to say, no spoilers, it's, but yeah. the great one, <laughs> the great one made, had finally come back home. It's a good day on the Pod Charles Cinecast feed when, uh, you know, from out of nowhere, the uh, crazy people behind this podcast, namely myself, decide to, uh, you know, <laughs> revive a, a once, you know, dead podcast 
back into the feed randomly just be like bam there you go yeah, there you go didn't you never know what's gonna happen you didn't, yeah. you didn't see it coming you didn't see it coming kind of like uh hit the music boys Hey Phil, did you know there was a family in Namibia where like 13 people died after eating a suspected toxic porridge? It's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's <coughs> 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 crazy. Yeah, they were um, mostly children, you know, they're kind of young. But, you know, poison? I was eating porridge. What the poison? Poison, poison porridge, man. Well, who poisoned the porridge? I eat porridge like every day, man. Dude, you'd love porridge. Go freaked out, man. What are you coming for me next? Ah, man, it's cool. You live here. That stuff doesn't happen here. I don't know, man. Things have been going kind of like downhill since, uh, you know. Trump left office and stuff, you know? Like, you know, the rest of the world's kind of like falling apart. Since Goldie Hawn died. Yeah, since Goldie Hawn fell off as well, you know? like It's kind of crazy, man. Do a Trump... He's coming back, dude. Don't worry. I can only hope that you know, that you know, only only like crazy things like you know, near nuclear, uh, you know, Holocaust happening and stuff. You know, like could you know only bring him back. You know, because people are gonna be like, we need a powerful leader. Because he he said that if uh, you know, hold on one second. He said uh. You know, if I was president, Russia never would have invaded Ukraine. <clears throat> and uh, man, I, I don't know, man. And now, now, like, yeah, because uh, he would have done it. Porridge yeah, is like, getting poisoned, man. Like, dude, it's getting kind of crazy. Next? What's what's next, man? What's next? What is next? Apparently, the porridge was like poisoned after it was mixed with like some sort of like fermented substance left over from like some homemade alcoholic drink it yeah man they were like mixing alcohol or something like that for, i don't know man like vodka yeah maybe see that's why i like think it was vodka. russian they man. put vodka in the pot oh it was a russian attack oh. if, if trump was still president that shit wouldn't happen bro <laughs> it would never happen bro that poor that poor family in namibia would still be around see see what you get here see? on the pond charles podcast. you never know that you never know when we're gonna revive a once dead podcast what do you think of that phil Oh my god, I missed breadcrumbs so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phil, just when you thought we were out in 1993, oh, you pulled me back in again. It's the Philiversary. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, though, it's the other one. Need a boy named Phil, born in 93. Time to celebrate Philiversary. He and John are gonna take the cast to a time way, way back in the past. Phil, Phil. Last time we went toe-to-toe with a madman with a glass eye, an incredibly jacked police officer who fancies himself an action hero, and a weird projectionist who had a, you know, <laughs> what weird little ticket and he kept trying to tempt us into his projection booth, you know, talking about Houdini and stuff. 
kind of <laughs> creepy, man. Now, this week, we are in the midst of a nuclear crisis. So we uh, see, 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 like breadcrumbs, you know, like we're, we're being topical here with this week. It made yeah, sense. Man. It all came we- around. I don't know. I mean, I do feel bad about that family in Namibia. That's horrible. Yeah, that's awful. Um, but yeah, they anyway. Blame the Russians. Yeah. I mean, I'm also not going to blame the Russians because <laughs> <laughs> <do> that. <laughs> that's what conspiracy does to you, man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, now this week, in the midst of a nuclear crisis, so we call up Dr. Strangelove to get advice on how to subdue the mental anguish of our imminent demise, or at least, you know, at the very least, learn how to stop worrying and love the bomb. His advice was, don't watch a movie. And what movie did we go see, Phil? Mank. Mane. <laughs> Mank. Mank is the movie in Mane. How could such a thing happen, Dr. Cabal? The ant's saliva must have gotten into Bill's bloodstream and gone straight to his brain, just as the radiation, which is measured in units called Renkins, was released. And that's how he became a... Mant. For the kids of Key West, Florida, there was nothing scarier than a monster matinee. Lawrence Wolsey, the master of movie horror, exterminates you with Matt. The story of Matt is based on scientific fact, on theories that have appeared in national magazines. But in the fall of 1962, a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on the island of Cuba. They got the biggest scare of all. They're gonna bomb us? The country is on red alert. And what a perfect time to open a new horror movie. That'd be the best show to take a girl to. The whole world's gonna blow up anyway, so we should just do whatever we want. You know, last guy she went out was in reform school. He did teach me a lot. What about? About my body. You think if the bomb were about to fall, she'd do it with me? <laughs> Wait till you see the feelers on this thing. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, some of it's stage lighting, some of it's magic show stuff, but the big studios, none of them have anything like it. Do never ever turn one above six. This is it! From Joe Dante, director of Gremlins. You see what he's putting back? The showmanship. The bombs are falling! You think this is some kind of picnic for me? I'm still concerned about that bomb thing. Little question of taste? No, no, but your younger patrons, you could have some seat wetness. John Goodman. I love this business. Matinee. Man, I've seen this twice. It's October 1962, and we're smack dab in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Everyone in the town of Key West, Florida, is in a frenzy, fearing that the bomb will drop at any minute. Low-budget exploitation filmmaker Lawrence Woolsey, played by John Goodman, arrives into town to cash in on all the paranoia with the debut of his new film, Matt. Thinking the prevailing mood of fear surrounding the premiere is perfect to stir up some excitement. A group of local teenagers, played by Simon Fenton, Lisa Jacob, Aubrey Katz, Kelly Martin, they all prepare for the film's opening night, experiencing small crises of their own. It's the 1993 coming-of-age comedy written by Charlie Haas. No, Phil, no. Charlie Haas from not, Tim Angle? Not, not of the world's greatest tag team. No, it's a different Charlie Haas. Oh. And directed by Joe Dante. 
Hot takes out the gate, Phil. Matinee. Yeah, I feel like the um, Omri cat. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, this is why you wanted to do this. <laughs> you got a thing for this dude. You got a thing for this kid. First dude, focus, man. focus, and now this. I was, I was figuring out some shit too, because like he's uh, <laughs> about yourself. <laughs> no, like he, he was in this film because look, we've never done. I don't think we've ever done a Joe Dante film on this podcast. No, Joe Dante's I, sick, man. Have we done? And, I love Joe Dante. Have we done Gr- Gremlins? No, not really. Like we. All right, man. Not really. Well, Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace. No, he didn't direct that. Uh, <laughs> he didn't direct Dennis the Menace. No. <laughs> I was getting confused with John Hughes, who also did not direct Dennis the Menace. Yeah, but did he write it or something? <laughs> he Yeah, he wrote it. He wrote it, which is weird. Very um, weird. Yeah, Joe Dante, like, which I had no idea about, and it makes so much sense now, directed a lot of episodes of that show Eerie Indiana, which I brought up <laughs> in the Hocus Pocus episode that yes. that kid Omri Katz was in. And that's how he ended up in this film. And you could tell this was filmed in like 92 or something like that, like just before some of those films. And it like obviously got pushed. Well, you know, it came out the beginning of 93. So it was like Mm. kind of that tell in 92 because all the kids look a little bit younger than they look, you know, just a little bit later in the year. Films like, for instance, Lisa Jacob, she was in. Mrs. Doubtfire, yeah, and then also Army Cats would did. be in Hocus Pocus. Both of those are '93 films as well, and you could tell they both hit sort of a slight like peak, you know, little <laughs> progression here. We're getting a little bit older, a little bit of yeah, puberty yeah, yeah. going on. Uh, so yeah, we're catching them in this funny period where they're like they look so much younger. It's really weird, but uh, but yeah, it was like funny. I was like Joe Dante directed a lot of these episodes, and that's why Army Cats is in this shit. And I was just like, that makes so much sense. Why Erie, Indiana kind of slapped. Cause Joe Dante, was just like on top of his game back then, man. Oh man. Dude, yeah. yeah so Cause I would, we were like, I was this close to really pushing for Looney Tunes back in action for the Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Arc. Dude, you know, um, it's just I really like that movie. Are we showing you know it? It's on the cinema. It's, it's on sale right now at the cinema. Are we doing a Joe Dante thing? Can I thought we're yeah. playing the burb? No, not the burb. We're playing in a space, right? We're playing Inner Space. Uh, I love Inner Space, man. That's a banger. That's like Osmosis Jones, but good. We're showing the Burbs as well. Oh, we are showing the Burbs. Yeah, okay. yeah. We're showing the Burbs, Inner Space, Looney Tunes back in action. I feel like there was one more, Joe <sighs> Dante, but I could I'm be wrong. Oh, it's Gremlins 2. That's what it is. Yeah, because oh, okay. we're doing a season where there's a lot of these Amblin films on at the cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And two of them were Amblin's and two of them were, you know, just separate. So Looney Tunes back in action and uh, the Burbs aren't, aren't Amblin films, but cool. Gremlins 2 and yeah. Inner Space both are. Plus we just did like Explorers like a couple weeks ago. I was going to say Explorers was part of uh, one of the mystery movie marathons I, mm-hmm. I did for like within the last couple of months. Yeah. Um, see, we talk about shit. <laughs> Next week we're going to be there. Just hold your horses, Jesus yeah, Christ! Just, yeah, my God, relax. <laughs> um, this, this came out. I don't think I'd heard of this movie before you told me about it, and then we were going to do it for this. Mm. Um, and it was a really nice surprise. It wasn't what yeah. I was expecting. I liked Joe Dante quite a bit, and it had a lot of you know the things he liked in it, quite cartoonish and stylish and very nostalgic. Yeah. It got that like. Zemeckis is also good at it in Back to the Future. It's got that really lovely, like, nostalgic wash over it. Like, the way it portrays the stick deed in such detail, it, like, it manages to avoid sort of just feeling like a pastiche or like a cliche. 
It feels lived in. It feels real. And that's what's strange about this film. It's like, I just didn't know what, what it was about and what was going to happen. I was just yeah. like sort of waiting for it to kick in. And then you realize it is just a sort of collection of these um, side characters sort of, and their stories interlap, overlapping. And then at the end, it all sort of like, comes to head, uh, yeah. yeah, it comes to a head at the theater while the movie's playing and, um, and it turns into a, a, a big old, big old thing. But I really, really enjoyed it. It was a nice surprise, is what I meant, because I didn't know yeah. what what it was going in, where it was going, once it started. Good cast of kids, like likable, fun. Yeah. I like the sort of slight sadness, darkness that it hints towards with the Cold War backdrop. But at the center, I think the thing that I loved, I really loved about it. The best thing about the movie is John Goodman, just on show as the ultimate actor. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, also yeah. like a sincere one, they never really push him into like, he'd never, he's a bit of like, you know, bit of a con man, bit of a cheap gate, but like, he's always like a decent dude. <laughs> and yeah, like, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a magician. Like my favorite bit in the movie, is, and it's, it's really good, he knows what he's doing, is when they go into the theater and it's a first-person shot. And it's like, you know, you come in and it's a 200-year-old carpet and it's the candy on the counter and we show you the story and we give you, we make you face your worst fear and then we kill yeah. and it's all okay. And you come out and you're like, oh, I want to see that again. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And it takes you through the journey. That's a great scene as well because he like opens the door and he's like you you come in and you're like hey i am here what do you have for me <laughs> like yeah exactly i have arrived uh, <laughs> i loved i love that scene and him going mental during like i love all the fucking gimmicks he had yeah dude, the gimmicks are great fucking yeah. gimmicks he had you know he got the fucking sparklers and the thing coming out the screen the buttons on the seat love all that and that that was i think the, the through line that got me i thought i wish he would sort of in it a bit more if it's centered around him, but maybe it works better with the, the character the kids sort of discover in this weird sort of coming of age moment. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, it was a really nice surprise. Um, what did you think of it, or why did you want to do it for this? Well, one thing, the giggle for the giggle of the of the gag of '93 films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. We were like, and oh, we're promising we're gonna, in a movie theater. Yeah, we're like, we're gonna do some cinema based stuff, and like, you know, last last why well, say last week? Last week we did Fast Ten, which was very cinema based. Come on, um, <laughs> I, I saw it at a cinema, guys. Come on, uh, but you know, <laughs> come on, we, keep up. Uh, we you know we did uh, Last Action Hero, which sort of like is like in a movie and you're like in a cinema a lot. And it's like a lot of the magic of movies and finding a, you know, uh, like sort of a family within a film or finding yourself or like, you know, some, a comfort place or whatever within mm -hmm. a film, like learning about that, learning about yourself. And even like, if you last week when we were diving into the de the depths of uh, last action here, what the story could have been based on like, mm -hmm. you know, the kid losing his father and blah, blah, blah. So this one was a little bit different because like, oh, this was actually I also, quite similar. Now that I think about it, yeah. Sorry. Well, yeah, yeah. It, no, no. Yeah, it turned out, it, um, coming at it was different for me because one, I had never seen it before either. So oh, I, okay. I was like really interested in watching it. I knew it was cinema based, and also the fact that it was ninety three was too much of a, like a laugh to like. You know, because we were like, oh, we're finally out of the filiversary, but we just keep <laughs> picking like ninety three films, mm -hmm. uh, and we, you know. <laughs> Uh, we are doing this weird little fire in the projection booth sort of thing. And this one's like total, like just playing with like the magic of cinema as well. 
For sure. We, you know, had potentially thought about doing cinema parody. So maybe we'll do it one day for this mm. little fire in the pro- projection booth uh, arc. But we have some other stuff coming up and we don't want to mess with our schedule too much. And we kind of found out all like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I needed to take a week off. Phil went away last week. So it was like, we kind of messed with our schedule a little bit. So mm. that got postponed. But if you want to hear us talk about oh, cinema parody, so like, I don't know, just give us a shout out. Maybe we'll do it on Patreon or something mm. as a little bonus. Um, but, you know, I thought like, I like Joe Dante a lot. I love John Goodman. I've, uh, only found out about this film as one of those weird ones. Cause it's like, uh, it just wasn't a huge hit and I didn't really know about it. Um, it's one of those that I'd never saw as a kid, strangely enough, like, you know, seeing that like this was a time period where I saw so much shit, uh, but I just had never seen this one. And, uh, it like, I only really found out about it, like about, I don't know, five or six years ago when I was working at the cinema and we showed it as a little special thing. And I was just like, oh, this looks really cool. And I didn't see it then. And I was just like, well, this will be a perfect opportunity to talk about it. And uh, I had a blast with it. Like, I, uh, like, it's funny the way you describe it is like kind of like the best and worst thing about this film in the terms of like best thing is that like you don't know what to expect really. And you get this like really nice story. It's sort of like a coming of age story, but also mm-hmm. like, a, um, you know, the magic of cinema, like a, a greatest showman sort of like a gimmick uh, guy. It's just like an homage to the age old, you know, day of like 1950s sci-fi, 60s sci-fi cinema and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And like, you know, the B movie, the, you know, an homage to B movies. And, uh, also just like how cinema can like really get people to face their fears and like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's like, it's an escape from like the real world problems and everybody comes together and it's a community sort of like atmosphere. And it's like, you know, the best way to even experience like the cinema and see films like this is in a, you know, community atmosphere with all your friends and families or just random people who come out. Like other people are like minded, want to see a fucking film, see a show, and uh, just all sit there and get entertained. And, you know, you, sometimes that could be bad, you know, because you could have bad audiences. But sometimes that's like the best thing, you know, in the world, like coming together and in, in a cinema and just experiencing like something together. And it's made like certain films that I've seen like a million times better just by having that atmosphere of the cinema. But like it also like the part of that, like not knowing what to expect and I think was part of the problem with this film was the fact that like, not for me in general, but like just how it performed because like no one knew how to sell this film. No one knew how to market it. No one knew like what it was really about. Like, you know, on the surface level, a trailer really couldn't give it justice. A synopsis couldn't Mm -hmm. really do it justice. Uh, It really is just like an odd little movie. And I think that was part of the problem, how it didn't really do that well. Cause it's like, what, like, what is matinee? Like, you know, you could, if you've seen it and you love cinema, great. But if you're not into cinema, <laughs> you know, you just like, you, you like watching a movie from time to time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, as a pastime, it's, it's a weird one. It's a hard one to tonight. And I can, watching it, like, I can see how this kind of slipped through the cracks. It's a hard one to market. If you're like, it's a movie for movie lovers, like yeah, specifically absolutely. if if you're into one because it's like really romantic about the experience of going to a cinema and of uh, 
filmed in a way sort of through a uh, hectic time ball note. Yeah, this sort of throwback homage to like schlocky 15B movie mm. and sort of it makes a really good one in it and sort of yeah. played around <laughs> it, which I, I really appreciate. I always like when like it's like filmed within film. I think that's really clever. I don't know. Yeah, beyond that, I can't, if you're not really down with that, if you're not sort of vibing with those elements, I can imagine it might not bowl you over. It's not doing anything particularly groundbreaking. It's just fucking solid though. Like it's just yeah. a nice little story and it worked. Everything is good in it. The writing is good. The acting is good. It it looks great. The soundtrack kicks. And it's one of those, like, again, it, for the most part, kind of avoid the obvious show, like jukebox songs you hear in a 60, you know. Yeah, to be honest, like, it's not like uh, a ton. Like you, you get like, in the, few the jungle, really good. The That's a good needle jungle. drop. Yeah. yeah. Like, you they know. do it twice. That's how I do like it. That was a bit hot in that moment, though, to be honest, because yeah. I felt like that appeared in a few films in the like late 80s, early 90s. Like That song made a huge comeback in the 90s. The whole fucking yeah. Friends sequence where they sing yeah. it for some reason. And Ace Ventura. Yeah, it was an Ace Ventura. Did it not like have any sort of like play in like The Lion King maybe as well? I don't know. Yes. I yeah, I think Toronto people like sing it. They yeah. do. Yes, yes, you're yeah. right. So, yeah, it was a bit of a hot song. It's weird how that happens, though. Like, there's certain songs in certain time periods that are just, like, the hot song at the moment. And it's just, like, it's going to be in every film. The 90s were really bad for that as well. There's so many, like... Yeah, and I think, um, honestly, I think maybe Matinee is slightly um, late to the party. I think I think it would have done well, like, after, like... I think in the 80s, there seemed to be a... Or even in the 70s and 80s, there was a big, like... You know, we're always like living 30 years in the past, but there was obviously yeah. a resurgence in like 50s pop culture with Back to the Future and Happy Days and shit like that. And I think it would have rode that wave quite nicely. But I think by the early 90s, kind of done. It's kind of what I felt like with Dennis DeMent. I'm like, this feels kind of outdated. Already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It helps in long term though. Like watching mm. it now, it feels timeless. But like, yeah, yeah. I feel it's... like at the time, would have hurt. With all the kids and stuff, they're really good, but like it really, some of the elements as well really feel like an 80s film. Like, um, yes. it felt very like Goonies esque or something, especially like there's that moment where the Simon the Fenton and Lisa. Kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, oh, the God. Thing. Julia was like uh, laughing so hard at this guy because like I was, the I was poet. just like, dude, oh, who is this guy? God. Is he like 40 years old? What's this? Yeah, is he in prison because he's like, you know, because like the girl was like, oh, like her little brother was like, oh, I thought mom and dad said you weren't supposed to be writing that guy in prison. And I was like, whoa, he's in prison? What the fuck? And I was like, how old is he? He looks ancient. He looks 40 years old. And did he go to prison because he's a pedo? Like he's like, probably go yeah. with this little 13 year old girl. So yeah. creepy. It's weird. Like even if he's like, like, uh, I don't know, 17, 18, he looks like way too old for her. And it's just strange. It just seems to be a recur- This just seems to be yeah. a normal thing in little American town. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I've seen enough of it in movies. I've seen enough yeah. Christopher Lloyd and what, whatever. I don't like it. It's yeah. just weird. It makes me uncomfortable. It's weird. And he's like, and he's dressed like fucking Danny Duco. Like it's just, yeah, it's weird. yeah, yeah, yeah. With the big hair and the bad poetry. Like, is he meant to be Jack Kerouac? Or is he meant to, like, who is this dude? <laughs> Julia was really laughing though because she was just like, "Oh, there you go. You you're talking about your like uh, missing your like bully character, and here we go. There he a is. really good bully." I was like, "Yeah, man, '90s bully. Yeah. Here we go." And dress him up as a giant ant. It it totally is like something that feels like uh like you know because there's that moment where Simon Fenton and Lisa Jacob are locked inside the um 
Mad Grief 2 vibe. Fallout Fallout Shelter. Fallout Shelter. And that sort of felt like something from... Uh, like the 80s movie, like like a Goonies sort of like weird moment. It's like a weird intimate moment between these two characters that really just felt like, not dated, it just felt like of a different era. Of a time. But then again, you're doing like a film that feels like it plays like the 80s in the 90s, but it's a film that's set in, in the, the 50s, 50s, or sorry, in the 60s. It's like a weird sort of thing. But um, mm. I don't know. I mean, Joe Dante himself, he's sort of like, you know, a product of that era and stuff. And I think, you know, he hasn't sure. done a lot recently, and it, you know, no. Well, Looney, sort that's of that's my whole out. thing with like my whole thing with Looney Tunes. Like, I I think Looney Tunes is great, mm-hmm. but like his his uh, experience with the studio trying to make that movie. Yeah, he was he's a big Looney Tunes guy. Like he was. Yeah, he was with, really good friends with Chuck James, and he only okay, did it because yeah. he was like friends with him, and you know, it was an homage it, to him. But exactly, but like they just sort of buried it, and like was just like. Giving him stupid ass notes from, and they had no affection toward Lazy. Yeah. And he just sort of swore off Hollywood in the studio after that. So he's been kind of making indie movies since then, but like yeah, very few and far between after yeah. Radar. I haven't seen anything since Looney Tunes, to be fair. Yeah. But yeah, it's a shame because he's like, he's fucking great. He seems like he makes appearances and stuff and will talk about his old films and seems to have like a, ni- a nice appreciation for it. And Matinee itself seems like it's a really personal film to him. As well, and I'll get into that because, like, he was much like you know Francis Ford Coppola and James Cameron. Joe Dante was uh, one of those people who got to start working for the B movie king Roger Corman. Uh, so this film is a bit of a nod to his old mentor. That was where he like edited trailers, and you know he did the he did edits on the first features by Jonathan Demme and Ron Howard, uh, and then he met screenwriter and director John Sales there, who. Uh, played Bob alongside Dick Miller as Herb Denning as the two guys that like, you know, Lawrence Woolsey had hired to like oh. drum up business basically by like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the you kid know, going in and, you know, like protesting the movie just kept like trying to say how bad it was for everybody, but they actually <laughs> just worked for him the whole time. That was great. Like yeah, I loved great. I loved the sh- Like, just like, it's all like, I just, love the uh, man selling snake juice type thing, you know? Yeah. 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 He's a, it's a total, like, you know, just carny fucking, you know, exactly. businessman. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Dante's breakout would come with the Roger Corman produced piranha, uh, which was inspired oh, yeah. by slash being a parody of Steven Spielberg's jaws. So it's kind of funny. I was reading about this. Like uh, he was making, you know, Piranha. Piranha was coming out, but it was also the same time that Jaws 2 was coming out. And there was a big load of, I mean, we talked about it when we did our Jaws episode that there was like a ton of these Jaws ripoff films, you know, like Bear version or whatever it was, you know. And Piranha was sort of like in that realm because Roger Corman always was doing that push buttons and stuff. But Steven Spielberg, for whatever reason, just like, Went to bat for maybe it was partly because they made Jaws without him and like Jaws 2 without him because he like didn't want to be a part of it. He had enough like stress Mm. making the first one and he like was like, I don't want any part of Jaws 2. And uh, he basically just kind of went off and did his own thing and Piranha is getting made and they like Universal is trying to squash it. And Spielberg went to bat for Joe Dante and was just sort of like, man, this is just like a parody. If anything, it's like, you know, and we, you know, that's legal parody is legal, you know? And like, <laughs> they like basically just like back down and 
Piranha got made and it was actually just like a really nice little hit for like a B movie piece of shit film, you know, like, <laughs> but it's great. Like it's a great film, but you know, you would think like, Oh, this like shitty little movie, it's not going to make any money. And it made like, I think $16 million or something like that. And, uh, that sort of jump started his career. And the next thing you would do is the howling, which was one of those like 1981 werewolf films. Like there was three that came out that same year. One, one of them was Wolfen and one was an uh, American werewolf in London, which we did an episode on. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge hit as well. And then he directed a few episodes of police squad before he was eventually asked by Spielberg coming back into the picture to come direct a segment in the twilight zone movie. And uh, you know, which one that again. was. The best fucking episode, the like segment of the little kid Anthony who has powers yeah. to do whatever. That's the best bit. Yeah, that was amazing so with the big car. Yeah, so that would eventually lead Joe Dante to like basically be under the tutelage of Spielberg a little bit. Uh, he would direct a number of films for his production company Amblin, which of course uh, you know produced Gremlins, Explorers, Inner Space, and then Dante would go off and direct The Burbs for Ron Howard's Imagine before he would come back to do a sequel for Gremlins at Amblin. And then finally, we're getting to Matinee. So the idea of Matinee stems from Joe Dante's personal experiences of being around the same age as the kids in the film during the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, with the thought that this is like, this is it. This is the last weekend. (laughs) There's going to be no school on Monday or ever again because the world's going to end. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) what do you want to do? He said, I think it's fair to say that I, if I hadn't had that kind of childhood, I probably wouldn't be making films. I grew up in New Jersey and my father was a golf pro, so I was groomed for sports, but I wasn't very good. So my interests lay elsewhere. And he, like like the main kid in the film, moved around a lot because his dad was a golf pro, so he was always on the move. And uh, he was laid out with polio for a year, and he did a lot of drawing and writing instead, but his big thing was going to the cinema for Saturday matinees. <laughs> he said that was a highlight of the week and monster magazine. That was a chance uh. for kids who felt isolated to realize that there were other people out there like them. So the kid in the film, Simon Fenton's character, got Gene, stack of monster magazines. Yeah. They're like monster magazines or famous monsters of Filmland. Yeah. This was all a tribute to Joe Dante's childhood. He like literally wrote into the magazines. Like, um, and one of the copies that Gene's reading in the film is an issue that features an article by a 15 year old Joe Dante called Dante's Inferno, in which he gives his opinion. (laughs) So it's the one, like, I think it's possibly the one because he's reading it a couple of times, but there's one where he's in his bedroom and he's got like a copy in his hand, Mm. like, uh, on on his bed looking at it. And that's, I'm pretty sure, the one that had Dante's Inferno in it. And it's like, Joe Dante giving his opinion on the 50 worst horror films ever made. And the films which he included are Adventure Island, A Haunting We Will Go, The Amazing <laughs> Transparent Man, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, and The Blob from 1958. And he later admitted that he hadn't seen all 50 of those films. <laughs> <laughs> That felt a bit clickbait you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, the, <laughs> it was that, early they should have been a theme. Yeah. There, there should have been a theme where he, the kid re- in the movie reading it, like, did Joe Dante don't know shit? <laughs> and then he's like, like yeah. wait a minute, I recognize that guy. <laughs> yeah, I love it, though, because it's like, it still happens to this day. I love how, like, nothing's changed, really. But, like, I remember, you know, being, like, 13, 14 years old and, you know, 
I'd have friends at school or something like that who would write like in these submissions trying to get into like things like Pitchfork or some bullshit like about mm-hmm. albums that they like liked and disliked and stuff. I'm just like, there's no way in hell you've listened to all this. Like you're just, <laughs> yeah, you're just yeah, full yeah. of shit, man. <laughs> full of fucking shit. Cause like I would, I would like, you know, everybody used to do that thing where you do your top 10 film list, like of the year or something like that, or your top favorite album. So it's just be like stuff you hadn't seen, man. You're just trying yeah, to look yeah. cool. It's just like posturing, you know, it reminds <laughs> me of, uh, almost famous as well, which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think very autobiographical for Cameron Crowe, it's just a kid who's just fucking making it up and right. Ends up writing for Rolling Stone. Yeah. Like, I would love fuck. to talk about that film at some point. That's yeah. Great, anytime. Man. One of my favorites. So yeah, a lot of the props in the film, like uh, basically like the magazines and a lot of the drawings that are on the kid's wall and you can see like eight millimeter film canisters around his room and Mm. stuff. Those are all Joe Dante stuff. Like (laughs) those are just things he did as a kid or had as a kid. So it's pretty Mm. cool. So you combine the fear of the bomb due to the Cuban Missile Crisis with it being the atomic fear films, you know, the era, the age of atomic fear films with the likes of them tarantula the amazing colossal man and the incredible (laughs) shrinking man being out all at that time and with the films basically telling people that the atomic power wasn't quite what it was being sold as by the government like you know even over in japan you had like godzilla was another one of these sort of films so i I love all the john goodman talking to camera explaining atomic quotation atomic mutation to people <laughs> and then you get to the movie and it's like oh he was getting an, an x-ray and an ant must have crawled in to, <laughs> yeah. to his mouth and the ant saliva went into his brain and it's just like this is so fucking stupid <laughs> how anyone believe this is amazing yeah. but yeah. It's, it's great it's great at that it does it doesn't really and what I, a thing i like about this movie so i'm getting ahead a bit but just like Obviously, from experience, you've watched a lot of these sort of schlocky horror movies, especially around the atomic bomb, a bit around uh, the, like, that sort of panic. But like, and so it does a good job of parodying it, but then it just becomes one Yeah. by the end. And I really like that because, again, he makes it with a, like, um, authenticity. Like, it looks like it ends with a big set piece of the movie and it feels like something out of a 16 uh, B yeah. movie. And that's what I liked about it. Cause it does, it jumps like it's silly compared to the rest of the film, but like it works considering what the film is about and the whole film is, I mean, it's why I like all those sort of personal inter- anecdotes because a lot of the themes of the movie is about those like real world fears and movie fears becoming blurred. Absolutely, and they yeah. kind of become one in the same, and art yeah. start to mimic reality, and and vice versa. And I, I like that. So I'm, I'm glad it would. It makes me like it more, knowing that it's all very personal. Yeah, absolutely. And like all this kind of like you comes together, and you have this coming of age saga of a monster mm. movie aficionado, and basically he's like the audience surrogate, which is Gene Loomis, played by Simon Fenton. He's a military brat. His father's in the Navy and he's at harm's way during the height of this Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. And then you have Joe Dante and Charlie Haas's like, you know, <laughs> chronicle of the B-movie world through his like wide open eyes. And he's like, you know, enthusiastic for it. he's a tr- you know, true believer of this and like, uh, you know, basically the manifestation of the cinema audience. So we're all mm-hmm. along the line, uh, like all along on the ride with him. 
and uh, you kind of get this like story with him and his friends and uh, you know, him trying to fit in with kids in the town because he's relatively new to this place and he hasn't really made many friends. He seems to have a guard mm. up. He's like, oh, well, we always move. So what's the point of making friends? I don't really fit in with these people. He, you know, he makes up excuses as well. Like, you know, they won't like me because like they don't care about what's going on on the base and stuff. And like, you know, sure, they, don't, sure. they don't care about me and I'm not like them and we're different. Yeah. There's like literally a kid who wants to be his friend. That kid's fucking sad. Like, oh, the other base kid. Yeah. He's just like, like lying about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like kind of like walking around and trying to, he just wants to be friends with someone and like, you know, mm. like everybody's just really mean to him. And it's really sad. <laughs> like it's just a forgotten character, you know, cause he's the one that like uh, passes out in the cinema at the yeah. very end and stuff. Yeah, 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 like yeah. He's at the very beginning and he's like weird. Like it you feels like he's friends with like the kids that's that Gene ends up becoming friends with. But yeah, like but then he, he's not really he's with not, them lately. Yeah. yeah. He's just like wearing that weird like navy cap and stuff. He's just like a ner- a total nerd, but it's really mm. weird cuz Gene's being such a dick about him, but this kid wants to be his friend and but he's like trying to push away everybody and then mm. like, you know, uh like you know, he finally starts to like become friends with all these kids and stuff and they get into their own little So that's sort of like what the story ends up being about and you kind of like you don't realize that you're kind of watching this happen and like the lives yeah, yeah, of these yeah. kids. But then in the background, you get this, like, like you said, a huckster coming in. He overlapped it with the tell of this filmmaker showman, Lawrence Woolsey played by John Goodman coming in as this lovable B movie. God who's inspired mm. by William Castle with a little bit of Joe Dante's uh, mentor, Roger Corman thrown in. Very so Corman. yeah. Uh, Lawrence Woolsey, he's based uh, on the real Hollywood showman, William Castle. The character is like introduced as a recreation of like Castle's famous trademark of, you know, the silhouette of him with the director's chair with Mm. his head turns and uh, the profile and you can see his cigar. But it's also kind of funny because they do the joke inside where it feels very Hitchcock as well. And then someone confuses him. Oh, thank you, Mr. Hitchcock. (laughs) <laughs> so great yeah. because it's like I'm sure William Castle got that a little bit as well um, mm. because he's also making these weird genre films and stuff and but he's like the B movie version of Hitchcock yeah Woolsey's name is in reference to Lawrence Woolner who is uh, of the Woolner brothers who uh, whose company Warner Brothers Pictures distributed sci-fi classics like the Attack of the 50 Foot Woman and Woolsey International Pictures which is like the name that his trading, like, you know, his company is like under like, man, you just see the international pictures. So that's an homage to American international pictures, which is basically the company that Roger Corman and Samuel Z. Arkoff ran. So this is all an homage to like all these people that inspired Joe Dante when he was growing up. Uh, The original script for matinee was somewhat different. It was written by Jericho Stone. And it was about a haunted movie theater where a bunch of people uh, who went to the movie theater when they were kids came back and they were reminiscing about what happened to them shortly before the cinema is about to be torn down to be turned into a video store. Apparently there was like Uh, a vampire usher and like a, I don't know, someone else who was like a monster. And like, I think there was like a horror movie actor that was coming to the theater uh, and maybe okay. getting involved in all of it. But yeah, it was kind of weird. Uh, sure, I couldn't sure. find out like a lot about the original version. It was kind of hard to find these things. I'm just pulling together like pieces from like weird interviews. I was finding with Joe Dante talking about the film. 
but he said he liked it and stuff and he wanted to get it made, but no one else was really interested in it. And that's when they got Charlie Haas to come in, you know, tagged him in, uh, <laughs> hot tag <laughs> when Shelton Benjamin went solo. Uh, so yeah, yeah great he, match with your Michael Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote gremlins too. So, you know, Joe Dante already had like a experience with them and he came aboard and they decided to revamp the story, making it more realistic and also pulling some, autobiographical details from Joe Dante's childhood. So Dante said that uh, matinee got made by a fluke as well. It was like the company that was paying for it went out of business and they didn't have any money. So Universal, which was a distributor, had a little bit of money and he went to them and they just begged for them (laughs) to buy the movie. And basically they just went ahead and did it. So it was just like a little bit of investment into the film. Uh, and one of the big things I think that did help them was the fact that they did have John Goodman in the lead. I think that was sort of like what helped them and, you know, thinking about, okay, well, we can tell this. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those weird things. Like it's part of the problem with the film, not being a huge hit because John Goodman is like someone that can help him film get made, but he's also not like a superstar to a point where most people know John Goodman, but it's not like Mm. no one, no one's going to like, the cinema to see his John Goodman film, you know, yeah, like, yeah, he, yeah I would, but you know, yeah. it's not like, I'm not like, you know, the general population. It's not like, you know, fucking, yeah, yeah. I don't know, Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, he's That's like, like he's that's the guy from Road Man. Yeah. 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 Especially <laughs> then like, you yeah. know, like, yeah, I'm, I don't know. He was like in a few things here and there and stuff, but like today it's like, he's got more pedigree under him, but street cred. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, um, so yeah, Dante thought that he would have to reacquaint John Goodman with William Castle and his like gimmicks for filmmaking, even having like a bunch of trailers made up, you know, of William Castle like trailers and stuff. And John Goodman was like, you know, what? just show me that stuff. I know who William Castle is. And he just like inhabited <laughs> the role. He's great in this film as well. Like he's just really no, good. no, like what, what you said before, he's, so good. he's very lovable. Come in, he takes over the scene and he good he thought of. I like the way he changes in sort of demeanor depending on who he's talking to, you know, mm. like when the when the the picture house guy comes in and like who could pick up the film, the theater guy, he's like very a bit more, you know, grovelly. And then like with the two uh pro you know, protesters outside, he's just like, Well, gentlemen, you know, I think we all deserve a fair chance. And then with the gene, he's just like, Listen, kid, this is what you gotta do. Keep your eyes on. Yeah. You know, I just there's so many like versions of that guy and like he's just always bit in fire like and he's just always on top for always like knows what to do knows what to say what to say and can sort of climb his way out of anything but there's something really earnest at the center of it which yeah 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 that character work like with all the gimmick he's trying to say you know it's like well we're running into cuba thing you need gimmicks to scare people and the gimmicks he had are f- actually fucking great especially the last yeah. one the big one at the end yeah 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 like which he kind of pushes you know to kind of for story reasons, but like, I, I like that. I kind of, I really dug his character. I thought he was really interesting. Um, and even his relationship with, um, I don't remember her real name, but yeah, uh, Kathy Moriarty. Yeah. Kathy Moriarty. It's Corday or Carol. It reminded me of kind of not so much, but like, again, my cousin Vinny, they're sort mm. of, they have like a strained relationship. There's love there. Yeah, and you yeah, can yeah. see that. It kind of ends the same way as well with them sort of driving away kind of 
teething at the possibility My work of here is married. done sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah very yeah. much like man right yeah. into town. All done. Now, I like that, though, because like, he comes in and he's like, he could very easily be this sort of like sleazy guy, but he's not. He's like, yeah, know, exactly. he gives really good sound advice to the young kid and stuff. And he's not like he's not above probably like, you know, doing some funny stuff to make some money. Obviously, he's doing. Yeah, all these he's gimmicks. a big kid. Very, he's a carny, thing, but yeah. like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the vice at the very end, like, is great. He's like, it's so true. Like, no one has it together. No one knows yeah. what they're doing. Like, uh, like, I can't believe you're an adult. He's like, I mean, you know. Like, you remember that you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, great. It's fine. I be yeah, and that, and that like repeating of the you know keep your eyes open, and she's like for what for the scary bit. I think it's good advice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. As well, and that's quite abstract. At the and I'm gonna ask at the end with the thing because they don't like go the whole way. But do you think it's like his dad coming back on the chopper? Yeah, I think that's sort of what they were alluding to, FD like because the U.S. Navy like helicopters coming in. Yeah, so they pulled. They pulled out, right? Do they do the whole like it's fine? I forget now. Yeah, because it like, like the, it doesn't like, end, right? Because yeah, they come out, and they realize the bomb hasn't. Dropped. Yeah, the bomb didn't drop, and like it was all just like a gimmick, you know. Another his last, his last hurrah, the last gimmick. Yeah. The only thing that happened was I think he moved it ahead. Like I think there was still a bit more film left, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But and he, he just, just takes it on the road. Yeah, because like basically, like the whole the whole cinema is about to collapse. The whole like top like upper balcony the, was about yeah. to collapse. But I love at the very end as well the guy who's part of the whole like cinema chain thing or whatever the you know. You're he's gonna, probably gonna, I was gonna bring goes, this up. This popped me, dude. Yeah, he was just like, oh, like you know. Don't like. Don't worry. The insurance will take care of it. He's like, put a put a second screen up there. You know, <laughs> just turn it like, into dude. a second screen. I was like, dude, that's the Prince Charles cinema. Yeah, I would, I laughed out loud literally when that. And I'm just like, oh my god, that's literally Prince Charles. And they're yeah. like, yeah, fuck, get rid of that balcony, put it on the screen, in, and we'll fucking yeah. double the, we'll double the price. And he's like the fucking thing with like the sound will leak into the other screen and they get two shirts for the price of one. They'll love it. And <laughs> yeah. that was like every sing along is like yeah. that. And every time yeah. we get complaints where it's like, I can hear, you know, the time warp and I'm yeah. trying to watch, you know, fucking the master. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> I remember once out. I was watching, which was great. Cause it, like, I'm sure, I don't know. I feel like if anybody would laugh about this, it would be John Waters. Uh, shout out to John <laughs> Waters. Um, but I was watching Pink Flamingos upstairs and downstairs was uh, Dirty Dancing and it was like Tom of Her Life was just like blasting. And I was just, you know, just Divine sitting there eating a piece of shit. And you're just like, actually, this is great. I think like yeah, it's totally kind of works. funny. Like, you know, yeah. most of the time sound bleed will be annoying. But yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about is literally the Prince Charles Cinema used to be one big giant cinema where there was a balcony mm. upstairs like a lot of old school listeners might know this but like if you're relatively new to the cinema like within the last i don't know 10 years or so mm-hmm. like yeah the upstairs was converted uh into a second screen and that used to be a balcony so like yeah it's weird like that just popped me and phil because we know the history of, this, of the cinema so and funny. it was literally what this guy was like telling this guy because like in the film and matinee, if you haven't seen it, there's like an upper balcony and there's all these kids up there and they're all jostling and jumping around and overflowing. There was too many Mm. kids like up there Mm. all to see this crazy new film with all these gimmicks and stuff. And the whole fucking upstairs balcony just starts to collapse. So (laughs) 
Yeah, he uses a gimmick to basically get everybody out by blowing up the screen. Technically, like he didn't really blow up the screen, yeah, but yeah. it was a he made it seem like a the fire, atomic bomb hit yeah. in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Were all I mean, it's a great ending. It's really funny. Then bored the fuck. But yeah, it got that weird like noise. It does the. It's very Indiana Jones. It's suddenly, you know, it's like the kid is like hanging over the the precipice and you need to <laughs> save him and stuff. But yeah, I love that old wrap up. And I'm thinking now with the earlier version, I'm glad they kind of didn't do the stand by me sort of retrospective view. I think that would have been a too heavy handed. Yeah. Because I just, yeah, it's yeah. like, I get it. I like movies and I like cinema. I get it. And you don't need to pull back and be like, and that's why the cinema was so great. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. there, it's happening, and yeah. you're watching it sort of crumble before your eyes. <laughs> which Absolutely, is, you know, yeah. it's, so it's kind of this lovely analogy of like the thing that makes movies great is also the thing that will just destroy it. In the yeah. End. yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. All one the whole mishmash. Yeah, I'll get into the gimmicks in a bit because they were inspired by actual gimmicks and stuff that William Castle was doing, um, <laughs> nice, nice. and they're pretty funny. But like, you know, it's it's like uh, the the whole thing to do the gimmicks in general was because like cinema was kind of crumbling back then and at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had like basically a lot of antitrust issues and stuff were going on. And like, you know, there was a lot of like uh, troubles with like theaters getting, you know, films into their cinemas and stuff. And, you know, the big thing was just B movie directors just coming up with weird gimmicks to get people into the screen. So this is like, you know, the time where you had a lot of like weird 3d films would be made or like, Mm -hmm. you know, just strange little gimmicks in the, in the cinema, like with the chairs or weird little stuff. And it's funny. It just all like kind of comes back around to, to this day. And I'll get to it in a little bit. Let's go through the rest of the cast. Like we already mentioned Kathy Moriarty. She's great. Like, I wish there was more of her. Like, I love Mm. Kathy Moriarty. I love her just like being just this like curmudgeon of a lady. Just like, I love her at the nurse. Yeah. It's like, I scratched my elbow. Yep. Next. (laughs) (laughs) You got to sign this form. Like she just got that gravel voice. It's great. Like, I mean, like she just makes films so much better than they have any right to be. I think sometimes (laughs) like, for instance, like Casper, like, Oh yeah. From this time period. Like, that film, I don't think would have nearly been as good if Kathy Moriarty wasn't just in it, just like giving it her all, playing it as straight as possible as this like fucking yeah, yeah. like horrible woman who's <laughs> trying to like, I, I don't even remember like what she's doing there, but like it's something to do with the house and the ghost. She's room. a mean old lady. She's trying to take yeah, the house. Yeah, mean. Uh, anyway, we got Simon Fenton. He plays the main kid, Gene Loomis. It turns out he's actually British. So yeah, he's from like Newcastle, I believe. Yeah. He's really good. Like I did not know he's been in stuff, but like, he's like one of these kids. It's weird. He just, I don't really know him from anything else. It can go either way with the like kid actors who don't see in anything else. They can Mm. be really good. Yeah. Or they can be bad and you can be like, this is why I haven't seen them in anything. Yeah. Else. Yeah. Kid, good. He's actually he's good. Solid. Yeah. 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 And he's got like an interesting look as well. Like, I don't know. I think he would have like, played really well in the eighties, I believe, but I don't know. Maybe it was yeah. the nineties. It's a weird time. Uh, Lucinda Jenny plays his mom and Lewis, uh, Loomis. And then he's got his brother, uh, Jesse Lee, who plays Dennis Loomis. And I almost kind of left these two out just because I was just trying to like, just run through all the main kids. Cause they're kind of like, I don't know his brother. He's kind of cute. He looks up to him and kind of copies everything he does. He's looking out sure. for him, taking it to the films and stuff. 
the only reason why I added him to this was because the other day we were doing an episode and we start talking about the Brady Bunch movies. I didn't really notice <laughs> it, but yeah. this little kid played Bobby Brady, the youngest like boy. Oh, did he? In the two Brady Bunch films in the 90s. So I was just like, that's great. <laughs> I did not recognize him. Yeah, it's worth it just for that. Uh, Lisa Jacobs, she's back from Mrs. Doubtfire playing the oldest daughter in Mrs. Doubtfire playing Sandra. Uh, I thought this the bum, was pretty the funny. Band the bum girl. She was funny. She reminded me of fucking, she was just Topanga. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> With her beatnik family. You know what I'm saying? Like you, if people yeah. listening who know Boy Meets World, this is very obviously a bit turned down. <laughs> but the hippie girl with like the beatnik parent, yeah, um, yeah, she's she was spitting very much truth like, though. I mean, like she was. You're gonna yeah. fucking be annihilated in an atomic bomb. Uh, it's not gonna know. do anything. Yeah, you know. I think the only reason why they say to do that is, I guess, to like kind of shield Comfort. yourself from debris. But like, yeah, you, if you're indirect hit of you're the done. nuclear and if bomb, those yeah, x-rays hit you, know. you you're fucked yeah you're fucked and you She's better like, not pray there's any bugs nearby <laughs> <laughs> you'll mutate it you'll mutate. it'll happen man yeah. you gotta watch out uh in her memoir lisa jacobs stated that she had her first kiss filming this film so really simon Aww. fenton but apparently he didn't like her for some reason I, she don't, I didn't really find out. I don't know. It was just a weird little snippet. So I don't know how true this really is or whatever. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, they, they had to do it like five takes or whatever, the kissing scene. And it was just very awkward and uncomfortable because for whatever reason, he didn't like her. I don't know. All right. Maybe it was her One of hippie. Them, right. Her parents, dude. Her fucking parent. If we were to go to the 1960s and take a photograph and then we come back to today and examine that photograph. We would look at it and we would see her parents there and they would be the ones that you'd be like, dude, that person's a time traveler. Like they didn't <laughs> look like they were from the sixties. No, I know they're supposed all. to be these like hippie beatniks, but dude, they yeah. did not look like, Especially the the dad, yeah. It yeah, came it was out of nowhere. weird, man. They if, came into. I was like, who let these like people from the '90s in this film? Yeah, the <laughs> crew. Like, they're just some crew on the set. <laughs> like, can we get them out? Yeah, it's and weird. It, like, I don't know. It's just they stood out like a sore thumb. They really up? stood out, and it was strange again compared to the rest of the movie that feels very detailed and accurate. And that, yeah, they feel really out of place. Yeah. Also, I feel like the whole joke with them is just like, oh, liberal. <laughs> you know what I mean? You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, it could yeah. go both ways. Yeah, yeah. That dude just like he's like looking for any f- fucking uh affront to his freedom of speech, even when it's not yeah. there. Yeah, you know, they're yeah, leaving yeah, the yeah. movie and she's like, What? <laughs> the thing is I would feel like weird about that if I didn't know that Joe Dante is just like fucking around the whole time. No, like, no you exactly. Know, like just, the whole yeah. thing the whole thing like on I swear it was like a lot of the stuff. There was like stuff on the board in the classroom that was just really silly shit. And then just the whole like, you know, oh, we got to do our fo- like drill and stuff. And it's just like, you know, he's just totally like having a laugh. But I also like was reading something about like something he had said about like, oh, do you think like, you know, much has changed since like, you know, your film and matinee like 30 years ago, like to today and stuff. And he was just like, well, you know, we still have like, you know, instead of kids doing like, you know, uh, you know, a nuclear bomb sort of like procedures, they're doing like, 
you know, active shooter, you know, drills in schools sure, and yeah. stuff. And he was like, so yeah, nothing's like really changed. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're it's all still up. like living in weird fears and stuff. And, you know, this film still could play today, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, no, it does play. Um, the parent reminded me a lot of uh, Ned Parent, uh, the <laughs> Ned Flanders Parent and Simpson, <laughs> where they're yeah. just like very, uh, the hippie, like beatnik. They're like, oh, we've tried nothing. We're all out of ideas. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. We that, have that, this that fucking like straight laced fucking asshole Ned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So funny. Uh, run out of the cast. We got Omri Katz, we already mentioned. I mean, he's, he's, fine in this film like you know good. No, I, I like Omri Katz like, I li- and I like I like him in, yeah with the I like him in Hocus and, uh, Pocus I know you're not a fan of Hocus Pocus but it's fun yeah movie Omri trash uh, Kelly same Martin. thing same thing kid trying to lose his virginity yeah 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 that's I mean, all he wants that's all these kids want uh, yeah. yeah so you have Kelly Martin who plays uh, Sherry, Sherry so the girl that he's he's into that tripped me out a bit because I've completely forgot about this girl and I was like having to look up like what I knew her from her face was so familiar and I was like what do I know her from and she's in stuff that I kind of knew but like I just I was like I haven't seen this and then I found it it was the most obscure thing and I was weird like I thought her name was Christy and the reason why I thought her name was Christy was because she was in this show called Christy in like 1994 (laughs) or 95 I think for like one or two seasons and it was something that my mom used to watch. It was this weird period piece thing. And I can't remember if she was like a teacher or some shit, but it was like some mm, period fucking that. thing called Christy. She was called Christy. In my head, that was her name in real life. <laughs> and I, every time I would see her and stuff, I remember like years, you know, years after, I'd be like, oh, that's Christy. And then I'd be like, that's not her real name. That's not her name. Yeah. But yeah, it tripped me out. I was like, oh shit, Christy. Christy's Look in it up. Um, not a good show. <laughs> it was like a bad little house on the prairie or like Dr. Quinn medicine woman, just like the worst version of those two. James Villamare plays Harvey Starkweather. So yeah, the 40 year old creepy greaser guy, uh, who gets in the middle of it. I mean, his character is pretty funny though. Like I can't believe that no, he is a funny you know, character. John Goodman would, you know, trust him to go, you know, mess with all of his like controls and I just, stuff. I just rumble, love rumble. the I love that bit where he's like, you know, you're a good looking fella. You ever thought about acting? And he's like, how do you do it? And he's just like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Don't so worry about it. We'll move on. Yeah. But then things that like line up, like his bad poetry, it's funny and it's like really derivative. But like yeah. the one he tells Dan, where he's like, tomorrow is a knife, a big knife. <laughs> and then that comes back. Later, when he's yeah, uh, yeah, holding that girl, the yeah, and he with a knife, and he's like, he got a knife, and he's like a big knife, and you're like, oh, this guy's fucking psychotic. I, <laughs> yeah, he's but I like, I like that that actually paid off, and I was like, yeah. that was really smart, actually. <laughs> yeah, that dude's a fucking <laughs> creep. I just didn't understand who he was meant to be. You know, I don't know. He no. looked forty. Like I didn't really understand like what age think, he was meant to be. It should have. They should. I think they should have gone for more like. Not that old, you know, like a yeah, Kiefer Sutherland yeah. in like Stand By Me, maybe. Yeah, would have done like you could better. buy that maybe he was 17. This kid looked like he was like 25, 30 years old. Yeah. Like it was crazy. Like It doesn't work. It's yeah. so weird. Uh, and then we also had Don- Joe Dante's frequent collaborators. I already said Dick Miller, who played Herb Denning. He's like literally in every single Joe Dante mm. film. So you've probably seen him before. Uh, and then John Sales, who plays Bob. I think he worked on... Piranha maybe like with Joe Dante and then he was just in a bunch of Joe Dante films, but he's also a director as well. 
Uh, and then we have Robert Picardo who plays the theater manager, Howard. He's also oh, yeah, with the in, radio. Yeah. Like that guy he's was great. great. Just run around. He's really funny. Um, he, he's, I think also in almost every Joe Dante film as well. Uh, and then you get the U S film debut. I don't know if you caught this. Naomi Watts plays the, uh, girl that's in the shook up shopping cart film. That, that's so, not a real movie. That's not, <laughs> no, I thought that was a real movie. So, you no, know, are, we're getting no, into I the didn't films, the that films within watch. a film. So, all right, that so film uh, like trash. There's a, there's a <laughs> bit in the movie where everybody's freaking out about the uh, impending nuclear atrocities mm. that are about to happen uh, because of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the mom sort of tells the kid, Gene, to go take his little brother to the film but like to the movies because like he's been watching TV all day. He just needs to get out of the house and yeah. And not a scary movie. Yeah. So there was nothing really on except for the shook up shopping cart, which is <laughs> basically meant to be this parody of like Disney films of the time that where like, yeah, like know, Herbie and object. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Basically yeah. the Herbie films like are yeah. shaggy. Uh, <laughs> it looks yeah. Shaggy movie. dog or whatever. Shaggy yeah. Dog. So, so yeah. Funny. So it's like this shopping cart. that's just like, her uncle or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Willie, what an all way to shopping cart. <laughs> so yeah, that was Naomi Watts. I was like, I, was I didn't catch out. that at like, all. I was like, dude, is that Naomi Watts? Like, that's weird. So yeah. Um, that's and funny. then we get to Mant. And before I get to Mant, I want to say snack time. There's something about that look you gave to me. I know it's snack time. It's snack time. It's snack time. I can't wait for you. It's snack time. It's snack time. It's snack time. It's snack time. Snack time. Do you have a mant related snack time? I do actually, sort of. You got the bugs? I got some bugs. I got um I got a funny little snack here. I didn't really know what to do. Mm. Uh and I was like I got reminded we, you know, we're talking about something from 1993, which was when I was a little kid. And probably the last time I had this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also I was uh I was thinking about, you know, bugs and you know ants and all that um i gotta be careful though because there are like you know like my phone here is here i don't know if any radiation is going to come off of that or my laptop or uh, something like that. And yeah you gotta be careful bro but anyway what i have here is uh ants on a log so, oh my god what the fuck <laughs> it's a uh, uh, piece of celery good. with peanut butter and then little raisins on it which That's is a so classic, cute. classic like kindergartner snack. <laughs> it looks like a very classic American kindergarten snack. Oh my god, this is going to be a blast on the park. Answer along. All right, let's go for it. it. I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's just nothing <laughs> different nothing. than I do on a, on a regular basis. Because I eat all of these things separately. I'm a little kid. Who eats peanut butter on celery all the time? Uh, the thing is, it looks good. Looks funny. I'm not. Um, 
the biggest fan of raisins. No, I'll have raisins and, you know, granola. But I don't normally, like, go out of my way to add raisins to things. These are the To ends. anything. So, yeah. for me, this is... Uh, take, take them off. <laughs> ants on vacation. Hey. <laughs> it's a uh, piece of celery with just the peanut butter. And this is my, this is my jam. This is your jam. <laughs> Do you want to rate them separately? <laughs> to be honest, without the... <laughs> Without the raisins is a little bit better to to my personal palate. <laughs> I bet raisins are like it, they're fine as long as they're like not the pride. Mm-hmm. But like I would not chew. But that's what annoys me. You have like a muffin, you're like, or like a like a, a, a cookie or something. You're like, who put fucking raisins? In this <laughs> like you didn't know there'd be raisins in it. Or like yeah. you know, I get a lot, like a lot of nut mix things, and sometimes they just throw raisins in there, and you're like, why? Like to pad it out, and you just don't need yeah. it. Um, it's like mostly raisins. That, that looks like a very sweet tr- treat. I've never, never had that. I don't think I'll try it. I have peanut butter daily, so I don't think. Yeah. I can imagine what that tastes like. Uh, I have peanut butter all the time as well. Um, how many? How many shocks to the butt are you going to give it? How many electric shocks to your cheeks? Electric shocks to my cheeks. You know, um, you know, I. Uh, I give it a solid four, man, dude. I love four. I mean, it's like celery is great. It's healthy for you. I like celery. And then, you know, <laughs> peanut butter and it's uh Pippa nut peanut butter, crunchy peanut butter. Dude, you can't go wrong. I'm a man. I like stuff. smooth. I like smooth peanut butter. I like crunchy. I don't like crunchy. I like it. Cause it's you got like, another one. Makes me feel like turds. A man. Like a turd. <laughs> <laughs> I got, um, like, yeah, this is a little hard one to, this was a bit hard to get snagged for, but I was just watching and it's a bit where Sherry goes to the concession stand and asks for a thing. It's when Jean is like trying to convince her that Stan is not a dick. Um, <laughs> but she goes up to the counter and she's like, hey, can I get a Hershey bar? Yeah, she and does. And here we go. Here we go. I've got a Hershey cookie in creme. Yeah. And That's cream. like the modern version because there's no way in hell they had like cookies and cream Hershey. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, because they had this and they had like a strawberry one. Yeah, I'll just, and I was like, I don't think these are the normal flavors, like just a normal Hershey's bar. Um, but Hershey's is meant to be not great. Is that right? Well, that's what like the British propaganda will lead you to believe. No, because yeah. Dusty said the same thing, and I don't think she's a slave to British propaganda. Yeah, but she's not really like American. Come on, <laughs> she's like how she's dare American, you? She, 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 she's a proud American. She'll fight you on that. Here we go. I'm not a fan of the color. Well, yeah, I mean that's the pasty white. Yeah, it's like white chocolate. White I chocolate. Mean, I can't say much about. I don't. Know. Have you tried this one? Maybe I don't Smells really good. remember. I don't really don't know. It's not like it's not I like, like milk cookies and, cookies. and cream stuff. Yeah, but I, I can't recall last time I had if I've ever had Hershey's. <laughs> it's got twenty five percent more cookies in it. <laughs> I don't know where I don't know where they put it, but I'll give I'll give it a go. I feel like I should dip it in something. But. Oh my god! Whoa. Can't tell if that's good or bad. <laughs> it's just a lot. Yeah. No, it's good. Fucking hell. Really sugary. It's like really sweet. It's like 
It's like, you know, when you have like, uh, a, like if you haven't had a drink in a while and you have a, a sip of something like wine, maybe, and it's like yeah. something like bitter, it can like make, like, it can give you like oh, sharp yeah, pains called, around it's your It's called throat. Fizzy Jaw. Is that what it's called? That's what that gave me. That's like, <laughs> I don't know if that's something that a lot of people call it, but like, you know, there's some people in my family that call it that. I'm like one of the few people who like experience it in my family. Like, um, no, I like get it. In terms of like Julia's family and stuff. I think her sister, her younger sister and her partner gets it. And he started calling it fizzy jaw. And then that was just like, oh, that makes so so much sense. Because that is That's what it cool. is. It's this weird fizzy I'm a, sensation. I'm going to call it that. This is what this is giving me. And that makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> I feel like a, a snack should not give me fizzy jaw. Yeah, but um, it's weird. It just happens. But it's like, good apart from that. I, I've had it with like weird things that like are savory sometimes. You know, it just doesn't make sense. Like a lot of times it's like you get it from something sour or something, you know? Yeah, but, like exactly. It's weird to get it from something savory. But not bad though. Mm. They're okay. No, I what I was getting at about like America has its like certain, you know, candy like in sweets and chocolate and all that. And there's this weird like culture of British people who like always want to like talk shit about America for whatever reason all the time. <laughs> it's called jealousy. We've done it. But uh you know <laughs> but they, they start going off about like oh America chocolate. Called jealousy. It's like, oh it's like fucking Cadbury so much better. And it's like, dude, chocolate like comparing chocolates is almost like people trying to compare wines. It's like, yeah, there are a couple of wines that like taste a little bit different than other wines, but at the end of the day, they all kind of fucking taste the same. It all tastes no, no, like no, fucking chocolate. Thought, so just here we go. US versus UK. I thought the trade-off one though, that maybe the UK had better chocolate, but the US had better chip. Every crisp. kind of all, all like savory snacks. In general, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like yeah. savory snack, like you get all yeah. kinds of flavored, all kinds of like crazy. I mean, the thing is, I shit. don't really care, like, because I'm not like, like I like chocolate, but I'm not like to the point where I like. So you agree, Cadbury is the best? No, dude, Nestle Crunch is the best. No, which is Swiss. So Nestle. Swiss chocolate beats it all. Let's just agree to disagree and say Swiss chocolate is the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, shut yeah, up, cool. Britain. <laughs> Uh, you're not good at anything just stop trying like i think that's the thing it's like america knows it's great at stuff and they just get mm. away with it because it's fucking america like who gives a shit it's like mm. it's like people saying like you know because i i think i'm so far removed from america that like i could see the flaws and the psyche of america thinking it's number one and stuff mm -hmm. but then like there's a lot of people who still like will go to america for certain things because it's fucking great so it's like, gun. cool, whatever. It's like, they're, the gun. They're, like, we know America's sick in the head. We know. We know. So it's we. fine. Yeah. But like, I think it's something about Britain. who's like, you, you've had, you lost your empire years ago. Just stop trying. Stop trying so hard. Stop trying We're to We're getting live. it back, bro. On, Have you ever man. heard of Brexit? Like, come on, man. You're, we got this stop. thing where we pretend we're better and we're not, you know, like, <laughs> and, least, and America had that thing of like, it thinks it, like, I think it knows and still thinks it is. Yeah. I don't know. They haven't there's figured more it out. Of a, it's just really more funny. of a self-awareness. It's just funny. With British, we're all humans like, and we're all fucked very, in the head and we all have problems. Just like John Gilman was saying in this film. It's like, we're all fucking faking it. We're all trying yeah. to pretend. 
But our Dennis the Menace is better than your Dennis the Menace. <laughs> so, I mean, does your Dennis the Menace have a live action movie? I think not. Oh, fuck. <laughs> now you got me on that. I mean, my, me I, that. I have no fucking I don't, no, There might I don't be like a that. live action version somewhere. Could you imagine they put like a massive, like a fucking afro on some kid <laughs> and they make a Dennis the Menace movie? Yeah. Jesus Christ. All right, let's get into Mant. So the low budget version of this movie inside of a movie called Mant. It's a parody morphing several low budget science fiction movies from the 1950s. Many of them were in black and white. So the uh, basically it's just all dealing with like fusing radioactivity with the mad scientists and mutation and all this bullshit. So these films included Tarantula from 1955 wherein a scientist is injected with an atomic isotope formula with disastrous results. And films like Them, which uh, I think Joe Dante was heavily inspired by because it's like ants were them. Um, and yeah, he had this whole fascination with ants as a kid. The Beast with a Million Eyes from 1955, The Deadly Mantis, which Joe Dante, <laughs> if you look up the logo for The Dan- Deadly Mantis, like basically ripped off for the logo of Mantis. You got the, the big- funny M. The big M, yeah. And then there's the Black Scorpion, the Amazing Colossal Man, the Monster that Challenged the World, Beginning of the End, uh, War of the Colossal Beast, the Fly, and the Alligator People. So he was like basically ripping off all these bits, and he chopped uh, bits of music out from them. He he uh, used title sequences and all sorts of stuff that were all like ripped from the stuff. You know, when you see the trailer and all that, like in the cinema, mm. it was like, that's how these films looked at the time. So it was like, it's very like, I think that's what's so great about it. It's such a like loving tribute to that era. Like when you mm. see like the kid at the very beginning, seeing the trailer on the film, like uh, for the film on the screen. And it's just like, dude, like you want to see this. This looks great. Oh yeah. You gotta watch it. Anytime, like, you know, they are running around the theater and stuff and they come back into the screen and you're seeing the madness going on on the screen. It just looks fucking hilarious. And you're like, I want to see this movie. The original film score was composed by Jerry Goldsmith. So there's like some kind of funny, like nineties, like, you know, whimsical music but then there's several cues from like a lot of those films like i said that were also used uh which were conducted by dick jacobs and i think that was part of the thing that like universal owned a lot of this stuff and they allowed uh joe dante to just go into their archive and just like rip all this music <laughs> whatever out. you want yeah. yeah so oh shit one second how many uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> i forgot i forgot how many butt pinches from how many weird, all? Little, weird little the animal weird. like uh don't make with my hands hand. yeah don't make me use the, the weird pincher um i mean i'm still eating it so yeah but it's not that great uh i want to know this whole tirade about hershey's and american candy i just really yeah, don't care i just like <laughs> i like riling up british people who think their shit's shit don't stink um I really uh, don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half? Two and a half. Three? Two two and a half to three. Good <laughs> enough to keep eating. <laughs> yeah, I've I've eaten like half of it. So you yeah. know what? Three. Let's just round three. it. It's solid. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Okay. okay. Just very thickening. So the depiction of Mant's use of Rumble Rama is uh a riff on William Castle's many in-theater gimmicks like Emergo, 
<laughs> or maybe it's a Merjo. I'm not really sure, but uh, it's uh, House on the Haunted Hill where he sent a skeleton with red glowing eyes, like floating on a wire on uh, yeah. the audience. I was oh, reading about that. Like, apparently, like they, um, they kids in the cinema, like once the word got out, like about this like thing flying over the audience, which I think, I guess back in that day, no one had seen something like that and it probably freaked mm-hmm. them out. You know, they had all these, you know, moments, which I think the tingler does breaks the fourth wall and it like, you know, like, there, <gasps> there there's something is. in the cinema. Yeah. Like I think yeah. like the ending of the film is very much the same as this film called the tingler, which is also a William Castle film. So he, he's, and I think he like, he did it, on purpose, but then he also accidentally riffed on it, like in Gremlins too. So it's really funny. Joe Dante he does just do it constantly like breaking the in the wall. cinema, like breaking the fourth wall. He's like got three or four films that like take place in cinemas, because like Gremlins and Gremlins two are both in cinemas. <laughs> oh yeah, oh you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because what are they watching? Like Bambi or something? Like in Gremlins? In the first one, in the first one, they're like, I feel like they're watching Bambi or something like that. Yeah, I think no. And then the, and then second, the second one, the one with like Hogan, Hogan, and the yeah, Hulk like, Hogan. He's like, you get that projector back on, brother. <laughs> That's what we should have at the beginning. Oh, just yeah. that bit. Just if I made this awful. movie, I would have put Jesse the Body Ventura in it. But he's <laughs> he decided not to show up this week, so. That's a shame. Well, Joe Dante clearly had a favorite. Yeah. He likes Hogan. He picked his... I mean, I get it. Maybe that's why he didn't want to show up because he he had Hogan in a film and, you know, he didn't bother calling the body when he could have had the Mm. body. Maybe it's too hard to find, you know, middle of Key West. He's like, I don't don't know. Maybe he's still (laughs) driving around looking for it. (laughs) Middle of nowhere. got caught up just doing cocaine or something. (laughs) Yeah, what story Jesse the Body Ventura can be today? He got pulled over with cocaine, <laughs> so he won't be with us. He won't be with us. I was reading the once the kids like found out about this house on the haunted hill, like you know, Emerjo thing or whatever with the glowing eye skeleton. They start like throwing like popcorn and like candy and like uh, boxes <laughs> of popcorn and all sorts of shit at it and and cups and cans and just trying to knock it over. So yeah, it just kind of became a laugh after a while. There was also the gimmick called Percepto, which was uh, uh, from the Tingler, which used the buzzers and to jolt the cinema chairs like he used in this film. And then there was a, this one's funny, it's called Illusiono. So there was the original 13 Ghosts. I don't know if you've seen the remake of 13 Ghosts, but it's, no. uh, it's pretty fucking hilarious. It's from like 2001, 2002. It's like a total schmozzy, like bullshit, like ghost film um i think tony shalhoub's in it so yeah nice that's, that's what you're dealing with <laughs> um so yeah the original 13 ghosts where they it was called illusion that each patron was hand like uh given this handheld ghost viewer remover so it basically was like almost the way a uh like pair of 3d glasses would work so there was a red cellophane and there was blue cellophane on it the red cellophane will allow you to see the ghost in the movie and then if you looked at it through the blue cellophane, it will it will make the ghost disappear. So you could, oh, like, you know, if it was too scary, you could look at that. That's amazing. <laughs> we should show that at the cinema. Yeah. I don't really like know how that worked. I guess it was only like something with the color. It would only pick up. I don't know. Yeah. You oh, shoot yeah. something on like a certain spectrum or whatever. Yeah. It's really weird. Really fun. Um, however, the only monster movie that uh, William Castle produced before 1970 was 1959's The Tingler, 
So that, but it didn't have a radiation theme. So that was kind of funny. Like he was just kind of pulling from those time periods, but it was just the gimmicks was the thing. But, you know, John Waters would also use, sometimes use like gimmicks and stuff with his films and he would use buzzers and seats as well. And he also did fun gimmicks like Smell-O-Vision or what was he called Odorama for polyester. So you had the little scratch cards and shit like, you know, where there'd Mm. be like, you know, a number on the screen and then you, you scratch and then you can smell what the smell is supposed to be in the, in the screen. It's so funny. I remember that from like the fucking grossed out toxic magazines I had at the kid yeah. like yeah. scratch and sniff and it's like, ew, what is that? Yeah. So weird. Yeah. So polyester was big with that. We, we did a couple of screenings with Odorama, but it's hard to get your hands on those like cards. They're like really rare, you know, but I think there was a stack of the cinema, like a stack of those Odorama ones left over. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty cool. These uh, these gimmicks, though, they're still alive, though, today. Like, you know, you still get cinemas, you know, today. We like have it's the regular, 4D. 4DX. Like, yeah. Where they and that's blow nothing air new. At you and the chair yeah. moved around and rumbled or whatever. Like, that's literally nothing new at all. Like 3D is still a thing, right? Or just for the Avatar movies? I feel like they've stopped. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel like, like I don't stopped. see 3D anymore. Yeah. No, I feel like that brought back that gimmick. And then yeah. uh, every movie for a while just post converted to 3D and charged yeah. you extra. And then that just sort of stopped. Yeah. I feel like because I, I'm, like, kind because of I remember actively avoiding. Really. Yeah. Even before that, because I remember like I hated going to see 3D movies. I'm just yeah. like, I'm, I just refuse. I will pay more to see it in 2D. I would just, yeah. I will avoid it. And I'm assuming enough people did that, but maybe just, yeah, like a pandemic thing, but I'm assume the way of water was shown in 3D. Yeah. I mean, I saw it in 3D. You saw it in 3D? Yeah. Okay. I don't see that as an option as much anymore. Like it used to be like a few years ago, it was like, yeah, 3D for everything, you know, and then you could pick and choose if you wanted to see it in 3D or not. But mm. like, yeah, I don't ever see it as an option anymore. So yeah, maybe it has just kind of like died out a little bit, but there is still 4DX. So you can still go to those, which I guess that would be a 3D screening, but then you'd also have like the addition of like, you know, seats moving, air, water, mm. And like, yeah, that's nothing new at all, man. Like, I there were like 360 see... movies as well. Oh, right? yeah, they, yeah, like, yeah. Project These... it all around you. Yeah, that sounds horrible. Like, yeah, where you keep turning, trying to catch yeah, what's going on. Disgusting. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, 4DX though. Like when I was a kid, there was a, there was like 4D screenings of things all the time at like uh, at uh, amusement parks. Like I would go to Paramount. Uh, what was it King's Dominion or Carowinds or something like that? And there was this, uh, this thing called Thunder Road or, <laughs> and, uh, or maybe that was in Disney. I can't remember, but anyway, there's this thing called Thunder Road. And I don't know if it had something to do with like the Thunder Road film, which we are showing very soon, like at the cinema, <laughs> uh, if it was just like a bit of that, but it was like, it was an old like film, but it was, it was only like, you know, it was like a small ride. You probably in there for like, you know, at most 15 minutes. Cause you know, it's like, Keep get them in, get them out, sort of, you know, the fucking amusement park bullshit. So, like, uh, but it had the whole moving chairs and like things happening, and it was really fun. It was like a funny little fun experience. 
But like just thinking about how that was when I was a little kid in the 90s that that existed then and they're still trying to package this shit like it's some new fresh thing today with like Avatar 4DX. It's like, <laughs> fuck off, man. Like, who cares? Like, I'm not going to go see a fucking film because they're like spraying water in my face every time the kid goes like in and out of the water. Like, it's like stupid as shit. If, if like... You're going to go see 40X like in Avatar Way of the Water. They're probably just going to have to drop you into a fucking tank or something. <laughs> it's just underwater the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, um, Matinee, it was released in January 1993. It only grossed $9.5 million at the box office on a budget of $13 million. So it was a bit of a flop. Um, oh, man. It didn't really you know, resonate with audiences but it did resonate with the critics roger Ebert gave the film three and a half out of four stars writing there was a lot of big laughs at matinee and not many moments when i didn't have a wide smile on my face gene siskel gave the film three and a half out of four stars and remarked the boring title doesn't communicate the joy within this film <laughs> <laughs> not too boring a title pretty good and entertainment weekly gave the film a b plus rating Owen Gleiberman writing, in matinee, Dante has captured the reason that Cold War trash like Mant stuck around, <clears throat> sorry, struck such a nerve in American youth. The prospect of atomic disaster was so fanciful and abstract that it began to merge in people's imaginations with the very pop culture it had spawned. In effect, it had all become one big movie. Matinee is a loving tribute to schlock that fear created kind of like what you meant. Like at the end, it all becomes, you know, this one big movie. that's just like this fun send up to mm. the like schlocky B movies of the past and stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. Like it's one of these films, like didn't resonate with, you know, the audiences and stuff, but at the same time it did like find its home amongst the critics, but then also like film fans in general, like loved it. And they have always loved it. And it's one of these things I think over the years, more and more people start to find it. They go out of their way to find it. And it becomes a bit of a cult favorite. So, I mean, I know there was like small pocket of audience that did like it at the Prince Charles when we showed it and stuff. And, you know, it's like a fun one. I, th I think it's like, it, it really isn't for everybody because, you know, like not everybody's like going to love the cinema or love the film, like, you know, that way. And have this appreciation for it. Because obviously you go to the cinemas and you have people who are just really disrespectful all the time. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, <laughs> for people who really like cinema and like the idea of the old movie house. And it's like vinyl, man. It's like, you know, or like going to, to the Prince Charles to see like a film on film. It's like a thing of the past. It's like, you know, romanticizing this relic of the past, which I think this film kind of does in a really nice mm -hmm. way that I think there will be some people who will be into it. But like, yeah, it's not for everybody. But, you know. That's why it's a cult film. Yeah, uh, it's very cult. It, uh, like I said, I think it would. Um, it's a film not a lot of people that a lot of people might not get much out of. Um, but if you're into this stuff, um, or if you have some level of appreciation beyond the usual, you know, everybody has watched movies and everybody has been to the cinema, but they're at the, at the level you get past as a cinema girl where you actually become interested in filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of people don't get there, right? Like most people, and movies are a hobby and that's a, probably um, a better you know, way to watch movies. But, but yeah, not in a 
and I don't mean that in a pretentious way and like you need to be film literate to appreciate it. I just mean like, you know, could it so embedded in the joy of experiencing a run, like going to see a schlocky thing at a rundown cinema, yeah. which is our yeah. whole fucking livelihood here. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's the place we work in. So yeah. obviously we're going to get a bit of a kick out of it. Plus you get some 90 stars, John's favorite kid actor. And John Goodman, <laughs> just like John Goldman, John Goodman just sort of rolling through and like, taking you on a ride and if you treat it like that i think it'll be i think it's a good time either way it's fun but yeah it's really it's just fucking sweet it's just like a really small sweet like hidden gem of a film that i'm kind of i'm glad i know like exists now yeah and make and makes perfect sense within joe dante's filmography absolutely um, yeah but definitely worth a watch god and if you're listening to this you definitely watch it yeah go out of your way check it out it's a fun watch and you know i feel like if you're a fan of Joe Dante, it's like a good one to, you know, I don't know if you feel like a completionist or something like that, you need to see it like, you know, something from like every piece of thing from some certain filmmaker or whatever. It's definitely one to watch, you know, um, it's like one of those films that like, you know, it's just really fun and makes me want to go watch a lot of his other stuff. Just, you know, like there's certain gaps in his filmography that I still haven't seen. Like I, I still really want to see inner space and I haven't seen that. Um, you haven't so, seen yeah. Interspace? You would no, dig no. that movie. It's so much yeah. fun. Yeah. I, I, I would like to see it. Uh, but you know, I love small soldiers. Like, uh, oh, <sighs> That's a good God. movie. Like yeah, that would I be love like moving out to kid. I, I can't remember. He, he must've done something in between this and small soldiers, but this would be like soon after like small soldiers would be mm. soon after. And yeah, it's just, ah, oh. So good. I feel like it's probably like, well, I don't know. You you really like Looney Tunes back in action, but like Small Soldiers and Looney Tunes, that's like kind of the end for him because he only did a couple it more after that and they're not as Yeah, good those are like, like, yeah, those are like his last not big high profile one. Yeah. It's a shame. He's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, it, it, you know, anyone who sort of like came from the Roger Corman school and also like was, uh, you know, hanging out with Spielberg. That's fucking great. You know, what a career. Anyway, that's it for us. Uh, Phil, we are like finally getting. We are out. actually finally out. No oh, joke. The Philiversary 1993. <gasps> for now, I mean, there <gasps> are Fun. more 93 films. No, no more. On the horizon. <laughs> but no more, damn it. We're doing something a little bit different next week. We're, uh, if, if all goes to plan, we'll be mm-hmm. uh, doing something that we haven't done in a very long time that uh, I think a lot of you listeners out there might be into, hopefully. Uh, we'll see, but we're doing uh, fire in the projection booth. The last two films have been these uh, fun little cinema-based films that have featured uh, at least one projectionist who's a bit creepy. Projectionist, uh, you know, but, you know, project. He, John Goodman is projection. Yeah, he's project. He's you know yeah. doing something. You know, but we're talking projection. <laughs> we're talking projection. Those people. We're talking. So projection. we're gonna go to the cinema to the Prince Charles Cinema live for the first time since the pandemic Phil and I together like recording a podcast together at the cinema is that true? uh, yeah I think so we haven't done anything I've done like a couple of things at the cinema yeah I think I recorded one thing there but you were at home yeah. Oh, yeah. You were at the. Cinema. I remember the sound was awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I was. Uh, I think my. Wolf, I think it's when I, think. I first moved. I think it's when I first moved in here, and I didn't have internet. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be a, a long time coming. So, next time you hear it, we're gonna sound fucking different. It'll probably be really bad quality because that's Definitely. why in-person recordings 
sometimes aren't very good, especially if you're not in the studio. So <laughs> ah, <laughs> I can't control the sounds. But yeah, anyway, it'll be fun. We're going to talk to a projectionist of this cinema. It's going to be a different one, not Jamie. Ah, shout out to Jamie, who's been on the <laughs> podcast a couple of times. It's going to be someone else that uh, you've not heard from before, but you've probably it's heard gonna be my favorite projectionist. Yeah. Hey, don't don't you be doing that. You know, that's that's not fair to Jamie. <laughs> that's fair no, to that's fair. And yeah, Finn, be Finn. mean. No, I'm just we joking. got a great team. We got a great, we a great team. team you're allowed to shit. You're allowed to fucking big up Hershey, and I'm allowed to big up the projectionist. The, your favorite projectionist. <laughs> My favorite projectionist. <laughs> well, yeah, My we'll, favorite We'll Martian. talk to him about why you, you think he's or what happened with him being your favorite projectionist and how that like you know come full circle in your life uh and something you made at the cinema yeah. about the cinema uh he, he he's a character in phil's movie yeah, yeah uh we'll talk to him about that but anyway ladies and gentlemen uh we hope you enjoyed this you know 93 season we're getting into something new right after next week it's going to be something totally fun i'm really excited for it. something that we sort of hit it at a little bit here and there and uh it's going to be a blast i love the style of movies that are coming in the future it's going to be really fun a very fun mm. summer uh mm, we have a big ton one of great it's take us through the summer yeah and then uh on the flip side of that we got a very cool autumn and uh winter coming and like oh. there's a lot of good shit so strap in but don't you worry if you love these 93 films oh, man, there's gonna be some coming for you just okay. wait how much more you have no idea you have no <sighs> technically i'm not i'm still not 30 yet yeah so we can still we can push this <laughs> Make you know, this is like the 30th year, yeah. the whole experience, not just a day. Yeah. It's just, I get to feel old the whole oh, year, yeah. you know, rather just than just a day and we get it over with. Yeah. I'm just going to try to break Phil before this is over. <laughs> I'm already broken. That's the secret. That's my secret cap. I was broken from the start. <laughs>